You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new big old week for Break It Down Podcast. Keeping on cruising here, I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by Broadcast Supply Worldwide, as all of them are. It's bswusa.com. Enter the promo code DOWN, and you get 10% off all your podcasting or audio gear if it's in the podcasting category because I sent you and they pay the rent on this studio. So thank you to them and also Joey Sturgis Tones for sponsoring this show. Thank you for being gearheads and people that are into computers and technology and stuff like that. Joey Sturgis has a new um, pl- audio plug-in. It's a tape delay called Soar that I just saw on the website and I'm going to go download it as soon as I get done doing this intro today. They've got great stuff over there. Joey St- Sturgis is a producer and designs audio software and plugins that are... You you know, will be useful to you. So joeysturgistones.com, uh, podcast 20 is the, the promo code there, and you get 20% off the stuff that uh, that you buy. So check those things out. Um, you know, I'm in a band called Matt and Toby, as well as Emery. So in case you didn't know that, Matt and Toby's me and Toby from Emery, and we started releasing songs that at some point that weren't ever going to make Emery records because they're you know, different. They just didn't fit the Emory vibe. So we're working on a new record, and we have a tour. So I'd love to see everybody. We haven't been to the East Coast in a while. But uh, Matt and Toby's going to be on tour with the Classic Crime in May. You can go to theclassiccrime.com and get tickets for that. And there's a little VIP thing where you get to hang out with Toby and I in the afternoon and do something on the tour bus. I don't know exactly what we're going to do. But I think that's a good opportunity, too. And a lot of those, uh, there's only 10 people that we will do the VIPs with probably on our bus and so a lot of those are sold out already so get your tickets for that uh, theclassiccrime.com and come see us when we come east and we also have a Seattle show coming up really soon with the Classic Crime at Numos on April the 27th uh, last thing I want to tell you before we get to talking about VR today is the Labeled Podcast it's one I've developed for Tooth and Nail Records and the teaser is out right now and the first episode is coming very soon but you can go to Labeled or Tooth and Nail Podcast. You can search that anywhere on their website or just in iTunes. And tell me what you think. If you think it sounds like it's going to be a really cool podcast, I'm very excited about that. And uh, just, you know, just want to share it with everybody. Okay, I feel like I'm trying to talk a lot and talk too fast here because I don't want to spend too long in the intro, but I need to probably slow down when I do these things. So how about that? Is this a maybe a better pace for me to talk at? I hope so. My guest today, his name is... Uh, well, he goes by Edwan, and he is a VR game uh, developer. He's worked on a bunch of different creative film, art, music projects in his life. I've known him since he was 15 years old. He grew up in the neighborhood that Emory first moved to in Washington, and we became friends with him. I know his dad and his family and uh, spent a ton of time around him when he was just a, a really little kid, 15, 16 years old, and he's come on come gone on to be pretty successful at a whole bunch of stuff, lived all over the world, done you know, a ton of different creative projects, and he's currently a VR developer, really smart guy, and I ran into him recently and said, man, you got to catch me up on VR, you got to tell me what's going on, and so I catch up with him here today, and it's so interesting, I think I'm going to have him back hopefully next week, because we didn't get to almost anything that I wanted to talk about, so I think you guys will enjoy this conversation, or at least I hope you do, and if not, no problem, see you tomorrow. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down.
is such a crazy situation. <laughs> <laughs> what is a crazy situation? Uh, it's just like the timing is funny because uh, I'm staying with a friend in Los Angeles right now because mm-hmm. I'm back from Japan for like three weeks. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. It's just funny. It's like things are not very stable right now. Like <laughs> stable, just like you mean, because you've been traveling and all this got stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, it's just been crazy. Like this weekend, I was at VRLA, which is like a huge convention mm-hmm. for VR. Um, and it was just so busy. It was like you know, just imagine showing the same thing to people like hundreds of times. It's like going on tour, but all in one day. <laughs> Oh, it's like do it, yeah. So you do your show like thirty times in a day or a hundred, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, like a hundred or a thousand maybe. It's it's so exhausting. Did it work though? Did you make a lot of good impressions on your game and everything? Yeah, yeah. It seemed like people really liked it. It was it was good. It was cool. It was um you know, also you meet like a lot of business type contacts. Uh-huh. That's always really useful. And also I just like talk to people and try to figure out what they like about the game and like what they would be willing to pay for it when I finally release it and stuff like that. Um, so how does it work anyway with your game? Like who pays for it and how did you, I mean, and how will you decide like who owns it and pays for it and how will the money work? Like in general, how does that you're, you're funded. I mean, I don't even, I don't even know the situation. Do you work for a company uh, well, or what? Maybe we should talk about it once we once we start. Well, but, um, Stephen, here's the thing about this podcast. This is the tone of the podcast, and we have already started. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but you sound really natural, so I don't want you to alter what you're doing, except maybe sit still. Oh, I see. But just keep talking I like see. a normal person. That's all we do. Okay. We don't have to go. There's no official to it. All it is is talking, except for we happen not to be in the same room. So that's all. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so initially this was funded by Oculus, mm-hmm. and... It gave me like a small grant, and that's been a budget that I've been able to work on and for about two years. Uh, and their conditions were really, really good. I'm not really allowed to talk no, about the okay. details. That's okay. Anything but, specific? But yeah, basically, it was like you know, make this thing. Um, so you made a pitch so, for you had the idea for the game, and then you r- turned it into a pitch and a proposal, and then went looking for funding or a grant or whatever. Yeah, so I was working on this like prototype for like six months, mm-hmm. uh, and I was living in LA, and I was like, I had like no money, I had no money. Uh, I was like running on, I was living on my credit card, so it was up to like, it was up to almost the limit of their credit card. It was at like twelve k, uh-huh. and that, and then that's when I got the Oculus deal. <laughs> so, it, so it funded the game and gave you living money for how long? Like how long does that? Like uh, how long till you're broke again working on something new? Is my question. Or rich? Almost, I don't know which one, but <laughs> I'm almost broke now because the game's still not done. And uh, but one thing that's cool is when I was making the game, we also made like I worked. I hired this programmer named Tyler, and um, we made this like crazy technology together called VR Infinite Gesture, uh-huh. and it's like ba- basically it's a machine learning algorithm that learns. Uh, your gestures in VR. So if you're like, if you want to do like, you know, mm-hmm. it'll like memorize that. You can teach it how to see that, and then when you do that, it'll recognize it and it'll shoot a fireball or whatever, you know. So crazy. Um, because we made that, like we're selling that to other VR developers, uh-huh. and I make some money from that. So it's just barely enough to for me to live, but in Japan, which is like half the cost of LA. So, so you're gonna move to Japan and work there, and then still then release this game. 
yeah, that's the plan. I want to go back there uh, for like three months um, and just really focus and try to get the game out the door, at least like an early kind of beta version of it. Wow. Man, Steven, it, it's crazy. I, don't, I mean, people don't know... The, our personal history, but it's just so fun to, for me to catch up with you right now. So I'm, I will spend this time partly just catching up because I hadn't seen you until I bumped into you recently uh, since we were, let's see, I don't know, I guess I'll explain it here, even though it doesn't. Um, when, what would you describe the nature of our relationship? I just want to give people a context. I want to hear it from your point of view, not mine. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. I guess I first met you because you were in Emory and you came to Seattle mm-hmm. and I was I was in a, a band at that time. How old were you? I loved in Minnesota. I know we met when it was flying or falling yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh I was I don't know, fifteen. Fifteen or sixteen, maybe. Yeah. yeah something yeah, like that. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. So I was in this punk band called Flying or Falling. <laughs> and <laughs> Maybe it was more of an emo. It was an emo punk band. Mm-hmm. It was a combo of those two. Jobs. Yeah. So, so us and Emery that lived out on a farm and and were good friends with Steve. Right. You know, we met Stephen and his other teenage friends that were doing a band. Except for we were in our late twenties, mid twenties, doing a, trying to do a band. But we were on the same footing as far as bands go, locally. Yeah. And then we wound up moving into uh, Kyle, your drummer's uh, parents' basement. So the th- interesting thing I think about that is we were all living in your drummer's basement like we rented the place from their family and we were just mid-20s adults like living uh, we had six bunk beds in the room and and you guys were there and it's funny to kind of just trace people going on and, and doing other stuff but i also think it's funny that greg lutzi lived there at the time too and he was, oh, yeah. he's the founder of vosco or vsco uh he's just you know a tech startup guy now with the giant company and he he lived in that one of those where bunks were a hundred dollars a month in the family's basement and was trying to get his start and you were there and i mean the thing about you that's interesting is and i don't know how much you embrace this or have moved on from it but um i want to tie it together a little bit but you were as goofy of a kid as possible i mean and you seem to embrace that i don't mean that to sound derogatory but you certainly must have always been described as being on your own planet at least right you know what i'm talking about (laughs) <laughs> yeah basically yeah basically that uh totally uh i've always been pretty weird i guess like, um, <laughs> i mean you don't take that in a bad i i, I be when i'm called no, weird no. i don't mind i don't ever mind it but some people really hate it so i, I don't want to use the word weird but do you self-identify no, as, like you're weird growing up or you're weird now or what yeah no definitely uh yeah especially now i think about it you know like at that time i was really energetic and goofy and I just wanted to dance all the time but I was also at the same time obsessed with video games and movies and music and eating and, and eating yeah <laughs> I still have that <laughs> especially sampling other people's food but uh yeah it's I think all that energy is kind of channeled uh as I've gone along you know I started out just like oh I want to do anything creative like uh-huh. that was that was just what I wanted like I saw movies and games as such a source of like happiness. I just wanted to be involved and mm-hmm. music too before. And so I think I had all these dreams and I've just been slowly like trying to check them off the list, you know? So there's like video games. Uh, if I could make a video game, that would be amazing. If I could make a movie, that would be amazing. If I could make a theme park, that would be amazing. Yeah. And before one of my dreams was to be in a band and I kind of did that. And now I'm like, well, I've kind of done that and I'm like pretty happy with what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I still kind of think about music and dancing and all that kind of stuff sometimes. <laughs> like it's it's still pretty fun to think about. <laughs> okay, so but you've done a good but amount. Yeah, That's what's so weird is you're the. I mean, I'm sure you even got, you know, made fun of or pick, I probably do you did you did you feel like we used to pick on you or Toby even at least a little. Oh. Okay, good. <laughs> I remember making fun of you a lot, no, no, but I hope you took fun. always took it like a big brother at least, right? Yeah, yeah. No, you guys were like it was like going over to the ultimate uh hangout area. You know? <laughs> like you guys were just insane guys from the south and we're all Seattleites and I don't know, it was just hilarious. Like why did these grown men <laughs> Although I didn't really think of, I know you as that's that. the weird part is we were grown men hanging out with older. teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> but it was awesome. Like we come over and you guys were just this crazy group of, you know, Southerners who had moved into a, a farmhouse yeah. in Seattle, yeah. <laughs> in Renton, which not really Seattle, but um, and I don't know, it was a blast. And you would help me like record my music. Like mm-hmm. remember when I had like my acoustic project and you mm-hmm. helped me record it that was awesome yeah and uh, then i, uh, I don't we know did, i learned we've done a few things. things together we did another music project and didn't i help you with the family force five video i did that that right that you did a video for them and i remember helping you with that at some point i did yeah, some yeah, audio yeah. something oh, that's on that. right. i can't remember what it was that's right you did some audio on that yeah so after being in a band for so long i really like even when we were in the band i wanted to do music videos for mm-hmm. the band um and that kind of evolved into me doing music videos for other people, and I ended up doing TV commercials as well. So I don't know; it it all has kind of merged. All the creative things I've tried to do have merged together somehow. Well, so you have done a bunch of those things on your list already. So you did music videos. You were in a band, and what was your theme park experience? You said that was on your list, but you've done something <laughs> for that, right? Well, I did a small miniature theme park you could call it in an art gallery but it doesn't really count like what i'm trying to do now is create a character that people really love because what i realize is like characters are the heart of entertainment and they they make like um i don't know they make that emotional attachment Uh to a brand or to a story or to an idea uh and they can the cool thing is once you have a good character like mickey mouse it can kind of travel between different things. Like it can be in video games, it can be in movies, it can be in a theme park. Mm-hmm. So that's really what I'm focused on right now is making characters and then attaching them to like novel technology so that they can kind of travel between different kinds of technology. Mm, interesting. So I don't know if you have any starts on that, but in my head pops immediately. If you're going to build a character and put your effort into it, I really think it should be based on you, your physical movements and personality <laughs> a little bit. Have you had that notion? <laughs> no, I haven't had that notion. That's pretty funny. Though. Well, I mean, you're unique, and I think likable. I've always liked you, so it, it, you know, that's what I, my premise in most creative stuff is. You're looking for what is the most unique and true thing. That yeah. you know that that's kind of what the way I look at it. Like, what is the most stylized, uh, exclusive, not like other things thing that you can create that's high quality? And but that could be music or a character or anything. I think that's what you're really looking for. And it seems like yeah. the, the closest source is usually one you know well so you get the nuances of. So like, you know how people write about their life or put a TV show based on their life or whatever. That's the easiest way. But you know a lot more about that kind of stuff than me. But I would like to see <laughs> you have a character or at least a side character, <laughs> sidekick to whoever you create this based on you, but cartoon version uh, or something like that <laughs> it's well it's funny you say that because i actually uh have some youtube recently in japan and um it's kind of a long story but i met these like 
YouTubers for, through a friend of mine when they were in Los Angeles while I was living in Los Angeles. And I used to surf in, in LA and, um, but in Japan, I used to like, occasionally they have these festivals and they wear these things called fundoshi mm-hmm. and the fundoshi is like, um, Oh, to give some context, I used to live in Japan. So I'm really familiar with the culture, but fundoshi is like traditional Japanese underwear. It's basically a thong mm-hmm. and it's like white and it just looks ridiculous. So when I was surfing one day, I was like, Oh, I wonder what it would be like if I was wearing fundoshi and surfing. And I took a video of it. A big, lank, so, lanky, white guy in Japan. No, but surfing in, in L.A. They don't surf in Japan, do they? L.A. Yeah, yeah. They do surf goofy. there, but I was I was thinking in L.A., you know, if I had Fundoshi. Anyways, so I met these YouTubers, and I was like, hey, let's do this. Let's make a Fundoshi surfing video. Mm-hmm. And they were totally down, and we did it. And, like, tons of Japanese people have seen this video now. So it's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's, so when I was in Japan, I met up with them again, and we made another video. So that's been really fun, and that's kind of a way, like you're saying, to put my character yeah. into <laughs> out into the world. I like um, it. But my actual game is totally different than that. It's yeah, I want to talk like about a, your game in VR, and I'm almost there. But I just want to to like I I didn't you know from me overhearing what you're doing, it's like obviously you're being successful, and I measure that by you're doing exactly the things that you care about and want to do. And then yeah. come to find out you're dead broke, which makes me even more excited because that means you really, to me, <laughs> I, I measure that as you're really doing whatever you want to do. And so like, I, you know, I, I don't know if you're rich now or not. That, that, that I don't know, but it seems to me that you, you understand that up or down money, you, you know, you, you're willing to do the thing you want to do, which has always been obviously true about you, you know, despite of the money, you're not looking for some stable position because you're going to want to do something else next, and you most likely will succeed. Is the goals of your intent and the things you define them? Is that you think that's right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, being I mean, I think you might have and make make a but... bunch of money in the future too. But I'm, I mark you successful. Do you say that about yourself? You feel that way? Yeah. No, I'm 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 pretty happy that I haven't wasted my time mm-hmm. doing a lot of dead end jobs. Mm-hmm. Like along the way, people always told me, like as I've as I've gotten better at all these different things that I do, uh, like filmmaking and programming and animation, I always get these job offers and the job offers like, Oh, you can come work at Amazon and get like a hundred K a year or whatever, or come work at Microsoft and get like 150 K a year. And everyone tells me when I, when I get those job offers, like, Oh my gosh, you should just take that and like, go do that for a year and you'll just be rich and you'll be good for like so long. And, I always kind of felt like that was a mistake. And now looking back, I, I'm like really glad I didn't do any yeah. of those because like ultimately yeah, if you do that, you have to keep going. Yeah. You get more money and you spend more money yeah. and then you're kind of stuck there. And like, yeah, I mean, cause I you, really you would say after that. six months there you go, okay, well I can afford this apartment and now you can't quit your job. It, you know, that's that. Yeah. And then, you know, like, the other day at the VR festival, I met someone uh, who was really cool, really successful mm-hmm. in Hollywood, and he's about my age. And he never took that kind of thing. He just went for it, and he made like a TV show. Mm-hmm. Now that TV show is really popular, and it's benefited him in like so many other ways. So I think it's just a matter of like going for your dream and just not giving up, basically. And even if you're poor, sometimes. You just have to, it's your time that really matters. It's not really the money that matters. It's like, what are you spending your time on? Yes. What are you working towards? I agree with that. Um, You know, I wouldn't take a job 
doing my skill set for some, I mean, there's some multiple of what I make now that I would probably do it considering family or I don't know. It's, it'd be hard to turn down some big money, but it'd be, it had to be a multiple four times at least of what I'm making before I would consider working for somebody else, you know, personally, I wouldn't work, yeah. I wouldn't work for somebody yeah, else exactly. for twice the amount of money. There's no way, you know, but, um, yeah. but the, the, the interesting thing about it is that you, the way I look at money in that regard is that, you know, you just choose you can it's it's a it sounds like a privileged thing though to I've chosen to not have money in many situations or be on tour like by choice. It's not the same thing as being poor, poor. It's kind of by choice sometimes, yeah. which is different. But I would say if you do have the luxury or privilege to choose to be poor or choose to not you you know, be in the money th- loop, that's a that's a good privilege to exercise. I really think it's a great exercise. And, you know, I've been on tour before. We're trying to spend less than $5 a day on food. And, you know, you, you set parameters and rules on yourself and enter these situations that voluntarily. It's like camping. I mean, you could go buy food, but you've chosen to go camping. <laughs> so you will make do with the trail mix and what you can cook on the fire. And that's a really good experience. I think the same can be applied with the way you look at your life and finances. Now, a lot of people have you know, don't have the choice or have child support and, yeah. you know, all the student loans and debt and no choice of what to do. I understand that families, obligations, but if you can choose to do like you do, there's a lot of other gains that you make, I think, personal gains at least, experiential yeah, yeah. gains. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I've made so many different things at this point now. Like I've actually made myself really valuable as as a potential employee. so But the end goal isn't to ever be an employee still, is it? No. I mean, the, the goal now is to build a company um, mm-hmm. and to build like a solid business. I used to just think of art only as art. Like, I'm going to make this thing just because I have this idea and mm-hmm. it's like something I need to create. And the more I've gone along, the more I think of it as like, I need to make things that other people want. You know, <laughs> not just that like, what am I doing this for? Am I really just doing this for myself? Or am I trying to create things that like serve a greater need kind of, um, also that ties into business. Like if people, if other people want it and I'm making it well, then I need to figure out a way to monetize it. And uh-huh. games and games, it's really obvious how to do that. You can basically sell the game or you can sell the things inside the game. So you-, if you build a plan into the game, then you can potentially make money. So you, but I mean, you still think of it as primarily a thing being driven by art or design, but you're just trying to, in fact, isn't there a discipline? I saw an article or a tw- Twitter thing about it recently. It's, is it called design thinking? Are you familiar with that term? I suppose so. Yeah. I'm not it, sure what you mean exactly. I don't know exactly, but I read a quick article on it and it was just talking about how there's business thinking and then there's design thinking, which isn't really about design. It's about trying to line up every, all the things together. Like the business wants mm. profits and product and then the designer wants art and this and that other thing. And then there's, but it should be designed around the human itself that, that the thing you're creating a for. So it's not necessarily just that you're creating a project, it's that you're creating. It's not just a product. It's something you're trying to line up the business interest with the human interest and, you know, the tech side. Like the tech side of it would say, I want it to be flawless and work perfectly. The uh, design side I want it to be, I want it to look good. And the business side would be, I want it to be a good product that makes money. So you just, you aim to get all those right in like holistic design thinking, I suppose. But that makes sense because it, it gives you a way to make stuff for people that isn't necessarily worried about being a 
product for profit is still designing art for or something of value for people. That's like the driving, the principle. So it's still more pure of a mindset than I want to make a company so I can get rich or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, to, to me, making the company is all about uh, making a system that makes money and makes a relationship with customers and builds a brand mm-hmm. so that I can keep doing that. And yep. like, I, I, I want to acquire money so that I can do more cool stuff, essentially. Right. Yeah, and I, so, I don't doubt that you'd use every bit of your money to do some, uh, something ambitious and, and, uh, and to build that. <laughs> so tell me about your game now. It's a VR game, and tell me what it's called and what it is. Uh, it's a virtual pet for VR called Waba, and Waba is a little character that you take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it a virtual pet, but my initial idea was really to make like an interactive cartoon. Mm-hmm. So, like, imagine being inside Finding Nemo and being in the water tank with him, and he's flying around, and you can, like, talk to him and, like, pet him and do all this kind of stuff. Um, and also have the story kind of progress, and every day you check in, and he's different. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I wanted to do. Uh, but because of the design of my character, it's like this cute little blob that's really, like, squishy. Everybody thought it was a virtual pet. <laughs> I don't know why. But that's one thing I've learned is you kind of have to work with user expectation. If you happen to design a character that looks like a virtual pet, it better damn be a virtual pet. Yeah, it needs to be <laughs> so, clear is what I would say. What, yeah, what it, is. it needs yeah. to be clear. Yeah, like people need to pick it up and just kind of know what to do with it. And actually yeah. a pet is really nice in that way. Like people know, oh, I need to feed it. Oh, I need to clean up its poop. I need to put it to bed, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what I've been designing it around. Um, and as I've gone along, it's gotten more and more complex. Like it can grow up over time. Um, I'm thinking about making an app version where you can open up your phone and like check on, check in on the same virtual pet. Mm-hmm. That's but neat. to me, it's really, yeah, it's really about the character to me though. I'm building this, this little guy that people and his name's Waba. Waba, yeah. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but given the description of all the things the pet does and how intense it must be to program virtual reality, would it be fair to say that you've spent hours and hours and hours programming virtual poop? (laughs) Yes, I have. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely true. (laughs) Uh, There's also a thing called a poop machine that turns the poop into money. Uh, Uh Yeah, I spent a lot of time. Doing that, I've spent a lot more time programming the pet himself. Though, like the AI is really complicated, and that's taken a long time. But well, uh, what platform is it on? What kind of VR goggles do you need for? I mean, well, I don't. I'm not in. I, I was talked about. I mentioned this last week, and then uh, get to talk to you today, which is really cool. But I was telling somebody. I may have told you when I bumped into you last that VR sounds obviously uh, like a big deal and the thing. But I've avoided learning anything about it basically on purpose because I don't want to get in it prematurely and waste a bunch of time and money on something that's not useful yet. But I'm going to look to you and other people to tell me, now, here it is. This is it. It's about to go. I still want to be on the top of the curve, but I don't want to get in too early, like doing internet in the you know early, late 80s or something. But um, I want to find that right point to get in and start paying attention to it. But I'm poking around at it now but i don't know anything about the, even the platforms or who makes i know oculus I, you know whatever sam i don't know who makes them if they're exclusive platforms and stuff like that but how's that work yeah so uh i don't think right now is too early at all but it's it sort of depends on how much money you want you want to spend basically mm-hmm. but i think there's there's already a lot of good stuff out there there's a lot of really amazing games um and it's kind of creeping up on people but 
basically right now you've got Oculus, uh, which has two products. They have Oculus Rift, which is like mm-hmm. this headset, um, and it's got controllers, uh, and it has to be attached to a PC. So yep. it's really expensive because you got to have this like super fast, really expensive right. gaming PC for like minimum eight hundred dollars. Uh, and then you need the headset, which is like another six hundred with the controllers. So altogether, you've spent like what twelve hundred dollars, and then you've got to buy stuff from the Oculus Store, and each game is like you know between ten and forty dollars. So yeah, it's a big investment. Uh, and then there's a, the Vive, and mm-hmm. the Vive is probably the best just high tech headset available. It's eight hundred dollars. It's made by Valve in Redmond. Um, and HTC, they they combine their powers to make it, and it's awesome. But like the headset's not really comfortable. Like I don't like having it on my face for a long time. But once you're in there, it's like amazing. And that was what, when I tried that one. That's when I was like, oh my gosh, like VR is here. Yeah, like this is. I'm walking around inside a room. I can pick stuff up. I can crouch down. It always knows. It's where, not where uncanny valley. No it doesn't feel d- delayed or uncanny at all. No, no. I mean, I think if you tried the Vive with a good PC, with a good computer, and some of the good games, yeah, you would, you would just. It's like religious almost. You know, like for me, kind of before that, I was like, ah, uh, I don't know. I've tried the earlier versions of VR, and it's like kind of cool, but like I couldn't see myself making a game for it because like nobody's going to really buy this. It's like mm-hmm. super niche. right? And then I tried the Vive and I was like, no, lots of people are going to buy this. Um, so everything else below the Vive, everything else other than the Vive is like a little bit less quality. Like Oculus is also amazing, but if you turn around all the way, it stops tracking you. So that's really annoying. Uh, and then PlayStation VR is like probably the cheapest option. And it's really good. It's a really good headset, but the tracking doesn't work that well. And they kind of hack together the the hand controllers, which that's another thing that's huge in VR is like if you don't have input, you don't really have VR, in my opinion. If you don't have controllers or some way to track your hands. It's just vi- 360 it, visual otherwise. Yeah, because like it really feels like you're there. It feels like that thing is in front of you. And if you can't reach out and touch it, it's so disappointing, and it and that's uncanny valley. That's like yeah. frustrating. So like, you need feedback VR from a design problem. point of view in that regard. Yeah, so that's why I really don't like Gear VR, which there's like five million of them out there. It's the most well, it's the most like good selling headset available right now. <laughs> but it gives this really bad impression of VR because it's like uncomfortable in your face, and all you can do is like look around. Most people just try it once and then kind of put it down. Yeah. So that lets you know right there. So I've. Tell me if this game's out there, but I think the ultimate game right right away that might that would be possible <laughs> right now would be, you know those videos, those freaking crazy people like in Russia or wherever on skyscrapers doing like parkour on the edge of stuff. <laughs> if you could go yeah, in that yeah. POV and ride with those people doing that, if they could wear a 360 camera, whatever it is, to program that in to where, you, you know, because if I watch it on a tiny YouTube screen this big, my heart is pounding and I'm just yelling yeah. at the people, you stupid idiot, I can't believe you would do that. You know, what all those people are, are doing. But if you could put that in VR, I just can't imagine how horrifying that would be. It would have to be just uh, overload. <laughs> do they have a game like that? Uh, I think a game like that would be pretty cool. Like, one thing that's, uh, one thing that's weird about that, though, that most people don't expect is that moving around in VR like really quickly actually makes you really sick. Really? Because it's just so, 
Yeah, like, do you get carsick? Yeah, all? I do, if I'm read, especially. Yeah, so that's the same problem in VR, but the opposite. So it looks like you're moving, but, like, because your body's not moving, you get really sick, actually. You get, like, motion Crazy. sick, basically. Yeah, it's That's weird. a good sign, um, because it means it really is, like, your, your brain is really buying it, is what that means. Yeah, like that means your yeah, brain no, is totally bought in because it's now processing it in a way that affects your inner ear and equilibrium. I guess. Yeah, it really does. It gets super confused, and I'm really sensitive to it. Um, so my game, I really have to design around that. But like with videos, it's a big problem too. So if you're like on a, if a guy is like holding a camera while he's jumping around parkouring, you're gonna get really sick. Ugh. But there's ways to, yeah, there's ways to film that that make that better. Like if you just keep the camera moving like at a steady acceleration, uh-huh. even if it's really fast, what makes you sick is like when it like kind of slows down like that yeah, or speeds up slowly, you know? So if you can avoid that in the video, then it could totally work. But that kind of stuff is amazing. Like if you try it walking on a tall building in VR, it's pretty awesome. Oof, it's scary. It <laughs> sounds like it. So what, well, what, what, where will we be in, I mean, some amount of your five, 10, 15 years, what, like what will happen with these? I imagine they'll get cheaper. But what are the integrations yeah. and the, the, the technolo- technological advances that we that we look forward to? Like, do they get smaller? Do they become just wearing glasses or contacts? Are you like, what, what, where are we headed? Because you can't. Um, it seems like the obvious thing that this is unbelievably valuable in the future, way past gaming. Obviously, I want to talk about some of the ap- possible applications, but it doesn't make sense that we'll all be walking around with those black giant goggles and joysticks all the time. <laughs> so what would be, what, where are we going to go from there? Like what's, what would be optimum yeah, for so a decade think, or two? Yeah. The next thing coming up is just making it smaller and mm-hmm. making it cheaper. So I think eventually it's going to be probably within a year or two, just like a one, one item that you put on your head. That's like maybe a hundred dollars with the processing in the computer. it. Yeah. Yeah, it's got the computer built in, it's got the screen built in, it's got hand tracking from Leap Motion, and just an amazing kind of simplicity to it. Wait, and wait, I wait. Think that'll kind of break. Say that hand thing again. I'm oh, interested yeah. so in there's that. This company, there's a company called Leap Motion, and I've known them for a long time because they were uh, thinking about sponsoring Waba, my game. Um, but because of that, they, they ended up we ended up not doing a deal, but I got to know the CTO, and he's a really good friend of mine now. And um, he's just a maniac. He's thinking 20 years in the future. Nice. Like, <laughs> are we going to have interfaces with our brain? Are we going to have... Yeah, like, yeah. Give me his number. I want to talk to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can if you want, but <laughs> let's talk after. Um, but anyways, he he's he's told me a lot about his thinking. Uh-huh. Um, but... They're already, they already have something that's amazing, which is like this little kind of two cameras that you put on the front of the headset. Uh-huh. And you reach out your hands in VR and you can actually like see your own hands. And this is awesome. so amazing. Yeah. It's so you don't so need cool. the paddles and the joysticks, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need like this thing. Like you mm-hmm. just use your hands, which is the most natural thing. Of course. But from like, from their perspective, it's really, really hard to make that kind of software that can track your hands. It's one of the hardest problems. Like Microsoft also has hand tracking in their HoloLens, mm-hmm. and it's horrible. Like here's all that you can do with it: you can do pinch and move and let go, and that's it. Yeah. Whereas Leap Motion is like pretty much anything you would naturally do, and it'll digitize so, and re-represent your own fingers in, in the mask. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard to explain, but they call it like hand presence. Mm-hmm. It feels like your hands have been perfectly replicated. That's great. And once you get that disconnect, like when they first made it, the very first version, like the hand would like glitch out all the time. And it would really it'd be like, oh my gosh, like what's happening in my hand? And you kind of lose presence. You lose the feeling that you're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they've been working on it for a few years and it's like, it's like almost perfect. So that's, that's awesome. That's, yeah. It's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking about that a while back. I keep trying to tell people, I don't, I don't like to think way in the future. I don't think predictions are very good on, but I love to think about the future. There's the possibilities. And sometimes you see obvious trends like you, it's not like anybody can predict the future or anything, but we know what VR is going to look like. It's going to be small. I mean, there's some stuff that's pretty obvious to think about. And obviously we're headed toward interfacing to the five senses, you know, more directly, basically. Obviously that's going to happen. But I was thinking one thing is we're so limited by mousing and touch, even touch screens and multi-touch <clears throat> compared to, and this is all I could conceive of, but I thought if you had clear little like lenses that went on your fingers that were wire that went on all of 10 of your fingers but they were just clear like latex or like you've hit squirted glue on your finger and let it dry if that could be wireless and you just had 10 fingers of touch swipe gestures and stuff like that you could walk around down the street just (laughs) moving your fingers so slightly and you'd be typing and gesturing like just doing little (laughs) things to interface with whatever the technology is not necessarily vr but that's interesting to hear yeah you know you could think about what you could control with just your fingers in the air like once you learn like we know how to type now but you could air type or a whole new language of just programming your own language of how to communicate with machines by 10 fingers of you know 3D 360 gestures. I think that you could do so much with that. But if you can digitize the whole hands in the system, that's going to be amazing. Does how does that interface to augmented reality? Though I'm trying to think beyond just because the VR thing is all inside a thing like a game, but augmented yeah. reality would be some kind of transparent mask or glasses or contacts, and then you see so, through it. Yeah, so the first thing that's going to happen, and Leap Motion is already working on this, because they've got these two cameras in mm-hmm. front of your eyes, they can actually like take video of the whole world, not just your hands, and like bring it into VR. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like a very early version of augmented reality. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a screen, but it's literally just a video of what's outside. It's like looking at your you- phone, like putting your phone up to your eyes and looking through the camera at, at it, except for it's immersive. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they call that pass-through VR. Pass-through VR, okay. Um, yeah, and then kind of after that is going to be augmented reality, and there's already some things. There's like the HoloLens, right? Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but Microsoft made this like HoloLens thing, and it's okay. Like I was really excited for it, and then I tried it, and I was like kind of disappointed because mm-hmm. it works really well, but like the field of view, which is like how much of the world is covered by the digital image, yeah. is like this big I see so it kind of looks like you're looking at like a tiny little square floating in front of you mm-hmm. so there's a lot of problems to be solved there but there's a company called Magic Leap which is different from Leap Motion I know it's confusing but <laughs> Magic Leap is this huge company in Florida which is totally secret um, <laughs> but they've received like 500 million or maybe a billion in investment something wow. like that and one of the major investors is Google and um, just by the investors investing in it, I know that it's legit. 
Yeah. And a lot of people have been like, oh, it's not legit. Like, it's just, and I'm like, do you think Google drops 500 million on something that doesn't work? You know? <laughs> so the idea is that it's these glasses that somehow make perfect augmented reality. Like, it's not like this, it's like this. Yeah. You know, so it's covering your entire field of vision. And let's say you want a dinosaur walking in your living room, it can do that perfectly. It looks actually like a dinosaur in your living room or a whale floating in your gymnasium or like a little virtual pet in your hand. And so you're wearing something that might look like clear, let's say safety goggles, like even the night, like Google glass even, but something like kind of that, that way. So it's not even that obnoxious and you're seeing with your own eyes and there's also projected images, um, integrated in that seamlessly. Yeah. It's real light. And that's, what's cool about magic leap or at least what I've read about it. Um, it seems like it uses real light, yeah, and it blends the two like perfectly yeah. together. So, and if not now, it's, it's just, a, that is certainly on the five and ten year horizon. It, you know, that's obviously where we're yeah. going in in no time. So, if you have augmented reality, the the way I imagine using that, especially interface with like I said, hand gestures or some other thing. It's kind of like if people if people aren't familiar with it, you could imagine Terminator Vision, where you're looking, he's looking out and he sees everything, and he gets a report of how many died in the in the explosion and how many people are alive there, and the heat sensitivity and the stats on how tall that building is. Like all that stuff would be accessible in your field of vision as you called it up. And imagine if you just had some micro interfaces on your fingers, you could just be tabbing through stats and looking with your real eyes at the world and knowing what material that was and how hard that concrete was and the density of that, you know, whatever. <laughs> you, you just would have every bit of information you could ever want. And um, I imagine social yeah. information would be the most valuable because you'd see somebody coming right. down the street and of course it would tell you their name and exactly how tall they were and last time you saw them, you know. <laughs> like that's all just going to be there, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had yeah. a I had um, a friend. Uh, the main reason I thought that is I had a friend that was in a band one time, and I hadn't seen him for years. But he was in a big band, and we were in a, and we had opened for him. I don't think he really knew me too good. And I ran into him a few years later, and he he gave me that look like he didn't quite know who I was. And I talked to him for a second, and then I walked away. And he came back a few minutes later and said uh, said my name, and he said, "How are the other guys doing?" Uh, what's going on back in Carolina? And he said, asked me a bunch of specific questions. Like, oh, that dude went and Googled. He walked over to the bathroom and Googled, and then came back and told me all this information to make me feel like he remembered who I was. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. augmented reality will solve that instantly. Did, wow. Yeah, no, that's true. That's funny that you picked up on that too. Like, oh, it was oh, obvious to me. How could possibly but, know that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he, it was just he just went a little too far with it, but you know the future won't you won't have that problem, I guess. I mean, I, it'll be really hard to tell. Gosh, I can't even imagine the kind of things wormholes or, you know, like a. <laughs> Wait, that was a big jump. Well, I just, I'm just saying, if you put that kind of power, I just you can't imagine what kind of uh, with every new technology comes such exploitative power. Like the first people that you learn to oh, harness yeah. that will have such an advantage on suckers that don't get it. Basically, is what I'm saying. Oh right, salesmen yeah. and you know snake oil salesmen <laughs> of the you know 21st century. They'll just be they'll, they'll yeah. be ahead, ahead, like pulling something over on people that they have no idea what it is. I mean, that'll be pretty soon. Yeah, well, I, I think, like you said, it's it's going to be weird, right? Like, how do you know if someone's authentic with you if they're just pulling all this inf- information from the internet while they're talking to you? Like, well, it's just going to yeah. be augmented, right? And everyone's yeah. going to have the same power of augmentation. Everybody will, so, eventually, you know, they'll be the first 
when it first happens, but eventually everybody will have essentially the same augmentation. Like we have Google now. So right. we, we settle bar bets on the spot, you know, kind of thing like that currently. And everybody just yeah. assumes that everybody knows the information, which makes, you know, memorization of bullshit in school even goofier sounding. But, um, but <laughs> it, eventually it'll just be, you'll be f- being fed predictive information about what you're trying to even say or do like in real time all the time, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, I think a, a much bigger deal than augmented reality will be once AI starts to develop and like, it's already happening, but um, there's going to be so many things that will be affected by that. It's It opens up a huge can of worms in terms of conversation, but it's it's something I've thought a lot about because we, when I'm making this virtual pet and pitching to investors, a lot of the investors are like, oh, have you considered integrating like this and this AI into that and it'll make it that much smarter and do this many things. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's almost like scary sometimes thinking about like what it could potentially do. Um, like what? Can you give me an example? What could it do? Uh, well, in a virtual pet game, like it's not that dangerous. But, uh, <laughs> not <obviously>. that dangerous <laughs> to play a virtual pet game, I hope. <laughs> well, I mean, it could, it could do things like it could go and examine your Facebook info. Mm-hmm. Like it goes, hey, do you want to let me into your Facebook? And you're like, yes or no. And if you say yes, it could go through all of your Facebook info and just know everything about you. And suddenly you could be playing the game and it just knows that you like... I don't know, the Mariners. And mm-hmm. so like he's wearing like a Mariners t-shirt and you're like, how did he know that I like that? That's weird. You yeah. know? <laughs> so it's like stuff like that. You can you can really go too far with it. Or it could like get to know all your friends and like kind of see what they're up to and sort of adapt to that. Um, or adapt to your mood. Like let's say you let's say you wrote like something that was kind of sad on Facebook one day. Um, or maybe you didn't even post it publicly but you wrote like a message Oof. like to a friend yeah. like oh i'm feeling bad today and then you come in and the virtual pets like oh do you feel bad today i want to yeah. help you feel better you know stuff like that nice. so i don't know you really, you really have to be careful like and that's just a video game just imagine if like if it was like a business you know a business that wants your money yeah to buy some product they could totally tweak your emotions mm-hmm. and they already do really like they're already paying attention when oh yeah when you're going to amazon it's like a curated page of the things that it thinks you want that's all yeah. ai in action and yeah but it's incredibly but it, powerful yeah and, and it's the that we you eclipse the point pretty quickly where it's right it like it may know better than you do like you know, like you could know for a friend or a spouse or some or a kid what they want, but more than they do, AI would be that would certainly feel that way. Like you know exactly what to do. I know exactly what to do. With my three year old, if she's upset about this, give her this, and this will make you know. I know how to manage her own. I know what she needs before and more than she does. So if an AI is advanced <laughs> way beyond us, you can. I mean, you can imagine it simply is trustworthy and right about what it thinks you yeah. should have or wrong. And, or <laughs> malevolent. I mean, it's just it's terrifying. <laughs> well, AI is still pretty simple in that sense. Like, all AI can do right now is examine patterns and try to predict the future. Based yeah, but on if it knows you're patterns, sad, you know? if it knows you're sad based on it's read a bazillion Facebook, you know, algorithms of people who posted these things before they, let's say, committed suicide. Here's the thing you may need. This is what uh, yeah. intervention that you need or certain things you need to see or whatever. It could take interventional steps or anything, you know, and be right. Yeah. But that feels yeah. weird about your freedom there. And like, could you really trust something that's more powerful <laughs> and smarter than you are in the long term? I don't know. Yeah. But it, it's well, going to get yeah. there, it sounds like. 
there's a lot of great uh, YouTube videos with Elon Musk where he talks about this exact problem, and he's thought about it a lot more than I have. Oh so, yeah. Uh, but like hearing him talk about it is really fascinating because he he actually has the deep down like technical knowledge mm-hmm. and works with some of the best people in the world on AI. So and he, and he finds he it kind of frightening cool. overall, right? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, he's very, very worried and scared that uh, AI could advance very quickly, and it could be owned by it could be owned and not shared by the wrong people. Mm-hmm. So his whole theory is that if everyone—that's why he started OpenAI. If everyone has equal access to very powerful AI, then that kind of balances out the power. Mm-hmm. So you know, if we all have godlike. Uh, thinking powers on our side but that guy does too and that guy does too then yeah. you know no one's gonna take over the world essentially yeah well there's a there'll be a race there so you think oh we should regulate it or avoid this technology or that technology but you can't do that because just then the the bad people will or the other countries or whatever it is you're not going to let china become the masters of everything and say it's dangerous so we won't do it <laughs> that won't make any sense you will have to go just you have to yeah. turn it on for everybody and hope for, hope that balances itself out um yep there's so, no way to stop it so one thing i was thinking about with vr we're not gonna have a ton of time steven can you come back next week and we can do another episode of this sure okay we'll talk oh, a man, few more already... minutes yes i'm saying i told you it goes okay. fast you, and you got somewhere to be so i don't want to <laughs> keep you too long but we'll do another yeah, episode true. of this but um the thing well shit let's just end it will you come back though Okay, I'll leave <laughs> sure, this as a cliffhanger yeah. then because we've done about 45 minutes and I think it's, I don't want to try and wrap something else here quickly, but I'd like, there's a bunch more I'd like to talk about. Okay, okay, <laughs> sounds good. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading! reading.